Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is Lewis versus Olenek. We are back in Vegas for an exciting fight card. Also contains Chris Weidman, Scott Holtzman versus Benil Dariush. Lots of exciting fights on this card. But as those of you who frequent the show know, we will only be talking about the prelim portion of that card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and are wondering, you know, why just talk about the prelims? Why not talk about the more famous, more exciting fights? And, and actually, I think more of the exciting fights are coming on the prelim of this card. But also, we think that there's value to be made in daily fantasy sports and in gambling on the prelims. And those fighters you don't really know too much about. So we're here to give you a little bit of an education. And speaking of an education, this episode is brought to you by AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. Unlike the other companies who offer gambling advice, AJ does not just give you fighters to bet on each and every week. He does so much more than that. He provides you with that education. He gives you his picks, but he also gives you different in-depth breakdowns, pros and cons for matchups, and things that you can use to maximize your profit. All of the tips and know-how that he gives you helps you make informed decisions and maximize your profit in the long run. And that's really what you want to do in your gambling anyway or playing daily fantasy sports. You want to maximize that profit in the the long run. And that's really what AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets is going to do for you. So make sure you check out him as well as all of his past breakdowns, his extensive record, and his customer success. You can see that all at AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets.com. That link's in the show notes. Or, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at AJ's MMA Betting. You will not be sorry that you did. Now, of course, I can't break down these fights without another co-host. Joining me today is fan favorite Kristen King from My MMA News. You can follow her at Kristen King MMA on Twitter. Kristen, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me again. All right. And as you guys know, we start every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Tim Means versus Lariano Staropoli. Means, one and two in his last three. He got knocked out by Nico Price, followed that up with a guillotine victory over Tiago Alves, and most recently was guillotined by Daniel Rodriguez on short notice. Staropoli is two and one, meanwhile, all by decisions. Uh, he beat Hector Aldana and Tiago Alves to start his UFC career, but most recently lost a decision to Muslim Salikov. So, obviously both guys lose a lot of momentum in that last fight, kind of losing the guys maybe people didn't expect them to. What does Staropoli need to do here to rebound against the veteran? Yeah, I think Staropoli just needs to go back to the basics. I mean, when we first saw him in his UFC debut, I mean, he pretty much just walked forward and kept the pressure up early, and that led him to, I think it was a unanimous decision victory. I mean, he looked sensational in in that outing. And uh, I think he needs to return to that. I think especially against a guy like Tim Means, which you and I have talked about him before. He is very tough to put away. Um, I did pick against him in the Daniel Rodriguez fight because I felt like the young buck fighter was kind of going to be a little bit tough for the veteran. But in a Tim Means fight, you can't really count anybody out. But in this one, I I feel like I might have to again, just because Staropoli is just so good at keeping the pace and pressure up and against someone who is not as uh, he's not a spring chicken anymore. Let's just say about Tim Means. So if he can keep the pace up and just come forward and hit those shots that he normally does, I mean, I think it could be a bad night for Tim Means. This is honestly reminiscent of the fight that Staropoli had against Thiago Alves. He took on another great gritty veteran and, and you saw how that went. So I, I think that Staropoli returns back to what he's known for, and, and he gets a win over here against Tim Means. And I think you're 100% right that that 
key of making sure he moves forward is so important. Because I think it is a little bit easier to do that against Tiago Alves. I mean, Tim Means was able to do that against Tiago Alves too and sting him. But you're, you're right. Tim Means, when he's moving backwards, is not the same fighter as he is when he's moving forward. And we saw that with Daniel Rodriguez. You know, Rodriguez backed him up, put him against the cage. And when Means ducked down, he wound up in a guillotine. And, and of course, he got tagged a couple of times before that as well. But I think you're 100% right. That movement forward, if Means is able to match that, I think this is a much more interesting fight. But if he keeps taking steps backwards, I think you're right. I think Staropoli's got it here. How, how do you see Staropoli getting this one done? You know what? I want to say that a finish could suffice here, but I, I'm going to play it safe, and I'm just going to say Staropoli by unanimous decision. I, I definitely don't want to count Tim Means completely all the way out because at the end of the day, he still has the power, the experience, the technicality. But I think Staropoli might be a little bit too much for him to deal with, especially coming off of the loss to Daniel Rodriguez. We saw him get dropped and then submitted. I think Staropoli has the same amount of punching power, if not better, than Daniel Rodriguez. So could be a tough night for Tim Means, and I'm going with Staropoli by unanimous decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go by Staropoli by decision, too. You know, I, I was right on the fence on this one, but I think you make a really good point about the movement forward and, uh, and Tim Means, you know, kind of trailing off a little bit. So let's head on over to our second fight, which is Nazarat Hakparast versus Alexander Munoz. Hakparast had a three-fight winning streak, but he lost it by getting knocked out by Drew Dober back in January. So he's 3-1 and one in his last four. Munoz is 6-0 and oh, making his UFC debut. You might remember him from being on the Contender Series all the way back in 2018, where he beat Nick Newell. Uh, his lone fight since then was back in October at an organization called Trinity Kings, which obviously he won at 6-0. and oh. When we saw him fight Nick Newell, he seemed fairly one-dimensional. He didn't seem to have any interest throwing his hands. He was really wrestle-heavy. Is that a game plan that can even work against somebody like Nazrat Hakbrast? You know what? I'm not entirely sure. That's what I was so worried about is that Munoz is primarily a wrestler. So this is essentially a standard striker versus grappler kind of matchup. But I think that Nasra is just way too fast. He's way too powerful. And he's an accurate fighter. He can stick and move. He can get those punches in left and right. I don't think he's going to even be bothered by a takedown, honestly. I think Munoz is very good at what he does because he is so wrestling heavy. He does great in top control. But the problem is you have to get a hold of someone like Nasrat. And especially if you're going up against someone who's known for his striking. By the way, Nasrat's power is he can put just about anybody out. Munoz is going to have a real tough time trying to get him down because he's going to be eating punches left and right. So I don't know if just relying primarily on the wrestling against this fight in this fight is going to serve him well, because we've seen Nasrat, what he can do. I mean, he did suffer a devastating loss, but that's because he leaves himself open a little bit. So of course, one of these days it was going to happen. He was going to get caught. He got caught against Drew Dober and got finished. But in this fight, I don't think he's going to have the same problems that he had in the Drew Dober fight. I think this is a clear fight for him to get back into the, hey, this is a, a, a hot prospect. It's a prospect versus prospect matchup. But this one, I think I'm going to lean in favor of Nasrat. I think he looks better in his comeback. I'm sure the loss probably motivated him a little bit more. So I think Nasrat gets it done here. I agree with you entirely, too. And it's worth noting that, you know, since his debut, which where he did concede three takedowns to Martin Held, he's pretty much shut everybody else out who tried to take him down, including Mark Casey four times. So, you know, and his output for me is another thing, too. Like, he's just going to be pouring it on Alex Munoz so heavily that that I don't think Munoz is going to have those openings to shoot the takedown. So uh, I'm going with Hawk Paras, too. How do you see him getting it done? 
I'm going to say uh, Hawk Cross by second round TKO. I'll give Munoz a little bit of credit if he can survive in the first round, which is very plausible, but I think Nasrat puts him away in the second. Yeah, and Nasrat seems to open up a little bit more as the fight goes. Definitely, I'm agreeing there too. Second or third round knockout here for Hawk Prost. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, just a quick reminder that this show is brought to you by AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com. That link is in the bio. One of the awesome things that AJ does to you every single week is he gives you the breakdown sent right to your inbox which contains pros and cons for each of the matchups, as well as thoughts on DraftKings matchups. And these thoughts, they're really in-depth. I love the thoughts on the DraftKings matchups because he tells you who is expected to be owned a lot and who is expected to be owned hardly at all. And, and for me, that's a big one, right? Like If you're trying to win the big money on those DraftKings contests, you need to find the, the gem in the rough. That, that's what this prelim primer is all about, right? Like finding the diamond in the rough here. And he's going to help you find that one who is in the rough so I highly suggest checking him out at AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com. That link, once again, is in the show notes. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Andrew Sanchez versus Wellington Terman. So Sanchez uh, had a two-fight winning streak. It got snapped with a decision loss to Marvin Vittori back in October. Terman is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He lost to Carl Baby K. Roberson by split decision in his debut. Followed that up with a victory over Marcus Perez back in November. The big thing with these guys is that both of them love to score takedowns, yet both of them have never conceded a takedown in the UFC are we about to watch a couple of wrestlers stand up and strike for 15 minutes? You know what? I'm not sure. But if that were to happen, I would probably give the, the edge to Andrew Sanchez a little bit. I, I mean, I think his striking is a little bit more developed than Wellington Terman's. I think Terman is definitely more reliant on his wrestling, which is obviously excellent. We've seen that in his past fights. But um, if I had to guess, I'm going to say that Wellington is going to go for more takedowns than, than Andrew Sanchez. I feel like Sanchez may want to have uh, a, a finish in this fight. I think I did see an interview with him recently. He said that he wants to finish. I'm not entirely sure about his ability in doing that, but I do think that his striking is a little bit better. So it could happen. I, I'm not totally sure. But if we get two wrestlers just standing and trading, I I might have to just say Andrew Sanchez by like, technical knockout or something i don't think wellington is that tested in that area so we'll have to see but if it stays on the feet andrew sanchez if it goes to the ground i'm going to give the edge to wellington Terman. yeah i agree with you entirely i was re-watching some stuff from sanchez and and i think not necessarily is he like a 100 percent better or cleaner striker he just has more <laughs> tools too right like he throws his jab yes. consistently and does what he's supposed to he like moves his feet better he tucks his chin better any that you know he's not altogether faster or he's not altogether mm -hmm. you know he doesn't have more output he just has you know more diverse output and i think that that makes him like you said ha definitely has a clear advantage on the feet Terman wants to wrestle i i guarantee he will try to get that body lock takedown which he got a couple of times on carl roberson which is maybe worth noting too so you know, like you said, I, I think if it stays on the feet up more often, Sanchez wins here. If it doesn't, Terman is probably going to get enough takedowns to win a decision here. So I guess that just comes down to the question, who you picking and, and how you picking them? You know what? I It's so hard for me to go against a wrestler, especially when it's just a clear-cut wrestler versus striker kind of fight like this. So I'm going to say 
Wellington tournament by unanimous decision. And I'm, I'm like super, I'm like iffy on that. So don't take me too seriously <laughs> when I say that. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with, with Andrew Sanchez. I didn't think, uh, I, I didn't think I would go against the fact that this would wind up on the ground, but I do actually think we're going to see 15 minutes of stand up. And, and it might not be the prettiest 15 minutes of stand-up, but I think we're going to give the decision to Andrew Sanchez at the end of the day. Um, and I'm going to go split decision, too, because I think this one is going to be really hard to judge based on just that whole dynamic. That's smart. Yeah, that's smart. That's a very good point. And that's going to bring us to our second fight, which is a much more exciting bout between Gavin Tucker and Justin James. So Tucker returned from a two-year layoff against Sungwoo Choi, and he completely changed his game. All of a sudden, he's a wrestler with a great rear naked choke victory all the way back in July. James, meanwhile, made his UFC debut on very short notice and knocked out Frank Camacho in 41 seconds, which is incredible. So I guess the question here is that Tucker showed that he's not just a slugger like he was before that long layoff. Do you think he winds up getting sucked into a slugfest against the big puncher in Justin James? Man, I hope not. When I first saw that this fight got announced, I was super excited because this is an absolute banger of a fight. I'm super excited for Gavin Tucker versus Justin James. But I'm really hoping that we saw a new side of, of Gavin Tucker, especially because we've known him to be just this wild striker and stuff like that. And that led to exciting fights. But I, I don't want him to have the same kind of fate that he had against, uh, what was his name? Oh, man. When he oh, got like, at UFC. Rick Glenn? Yes, it- yes. I, UFC 215, I believe it was. I don't want to see that at all. So I am hoping that we have a more technical Gavin Tucker than anything, because I know he's well known for his kickboxing. But as you pointed out, that he looked great when it came to the wrestling. So I'm hoping that him being more well-rounded, as it seems that he has grown to be, is going to lead him to victory against Justin Janes. I mean, Justin Janes is, I, I think there might be a little bit of recency bias, considering that he just completely deaded someone in 41 seconds, which was absolutely insane to watch. Um, and we know he has the power behind him, but I'm just hoping that Gavin Tucker can avoid all of that because we know James overall is such an overwhelming presence. So I think Tucker needs to do a better job at at, at avoiding all of those shots. And I think he can do that. So I'm super excited to see how this fight unfolds. Yeah. And and there's two other dynamics that are really interesting to me here too, is that Justin James, while we were all remembering the big punch was a collegiate wrestler. I haven't seen him wrestle all Mm -hmm. that much, you know, in his last, you know, like 10 fights or something like that. But it'll be interesting to see what his wrestling defense does if Tucker tries to do that. The other thing that's really interesting to me, Tier 2, is Justin James is coming down to weight class to featherweight. And not only is he coming down to weight class, he's doing it on pretty short notice. He only had about three weeks to get prepared for this fight. So I'm interested to see how the weight cut affects him, too. Is he going to be tired if, you know, obviously Gavin Tucker showed in that Rick Glenn fight, he is as durable as they come. So, like, (laughs) if this is a guy who can take a bunch of punches from Justin James... Does he have the gas tank? And and that's, you know, lots of interesting things going on in this fight. But unfortunately, we're at the end of the time to talk about it. So I need your prediction. Who's going to win and how they're going to win? Gavin Tucker by unanimous decision. All right. I, and I think I'm going to go with Justin James. It might be the recency bias, but I, I really loved the fact that he knocked out Frank Camacho, who's a tough guy. And uh, I, I think he keeps it rolling here. Um, and I'm going to go with by knockout. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, once again, I just have to remind you that this show is brought to you by AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. That link is in the show notes. Customers are raving about what AJ does for them. He not only provides them great content each week for them to learn, but he helps guide them through the betting process. He can help guide you as well. He can help you maximize that profit. 
You just got to give him a chance. And the best part about him is he's got that option. You, you go to his subscriptions on his website right now. Sure, you can sign up for longer subscription levels if you'd like. But he's also got a trial run, a one-event trial. If you're not sure, check out that, out that. It is worth the try, and I guarantee you're going to want more of his content after you get that trial. So check it all out, AJ's ActionPackSportsVets.com. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Yusuf Zalal versus Peter Barrett. So, Zalal 2-0 in the UFC. That's all this year. He made his debut back in February when he beat Austin Lingo. Followed that up with a decision victory over Jordan Griffin. Barrett, meanwhile, has been waiting a long time for his UFC debut. He's 11-3. All the way back in August of last year, he beat Sang-Hoon Yu on the Contender Series. Won his contract, but has just kind of been in waiting mode since then. So what do you think about the newcomer Barrett and how long he's been away and how that might affect him? Yeah, I think that's definitely a concern. Anytime that you get a contract and then you kind of sit out for a good couple of months it is not definitely a good thing. And especially when you come back and your first fight is someone like Yusuf Zalal, who is incredibly well-rounded. I mean, you're going to get some flashiness out of him, as we've seen before in some of his wins. He's had the flying knees and all that stuff. But he's also pretty decent on the ground, as we've seen in his last fight with uh, the Jordan Griffin. Everyone thought that Jordan Griffin was going to completely steamroll him on the ground. And we saw that he was pretty efficient. Uh, Zalal was pretty efficient on the ground. So... Taking on someone like that, I don't know how well this is going to go for Peter Barrett. I mean, he has been on the sidelines for quite some time. I'm not entirely sure that he's going to outstrike or outwrestle Zalal by any means. I think that Zalal will kind of thwart any attempt to do so. So I, I'm, I'm not sure about Peter Barrett. I wish he would have got a fight sooner than this. But, you know, with everything going on, it's not that easy to get a fight going on. But um, I expect this to be a fun fight. Honestly, I know it's probably going to be a stand-up. Like we've seen Peter Barrett in those kinds of fights before, and he's always seemed pretty fun to watch. But it's just against someone like Yusuf Zagal, who has all the momentum in the world behind him right now. As you said, he's 2-0 and with both of those fights coming in 2020, and this is another short-notice fight for him. I think he keeps the theme rolling here, and he gets it done against Peter Barrett. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that you think definitely on the feet, because I actually think Yusuf Zalal, while he is flashy on the feet and very fun to watch, he's a factory X Muay Thai guy, I think he'd actually be well-served to take this to the ground, because, like you said, there are some holes in Peter Barrett's game there. We saw him lose a couple of times on the regional circuit back in Cage Titans to TJ Brown, who wound up in the UFC as well, and Connor Barry, who's, you know, like a, a fringe UFC guy in his own right, so he's losing the good guys there. But he lost to both of them by submission, and he lost to both of them very clearly on the ground. And I'm a little bit worried that if Zalal chose to do that, he would win easily. And on the other hand, I don't think he'll choose to do that. It's a very interesting dynamic here. So um, it seems like you're with me here, leaning with Zalal. How do you see him getting it done? I'm going to say Zalal by second round technical knockout. All right, and I'm going to go by submission. I think he probably tags him and then uses the ground game uh, to finish it up because I actually think Zalal has underrated ground game, and uh, we're going to see a little bit of it here. And that brings us to our last fight, which is Ali Alakasi versus Erwin Rivera. So Rivera is a former uh, Titan FC champ. He lost his debut back in May in the UFC to Giga Chikadze. Of course, that was up a weight class from his traditional weight class, taking it on very short notice. Alkesi is 8-3, making his debut. He's in a five-fight win streak, fighting mostly for Brave CF over in Jordan and in the various places in Europe that they fight. So here's my question. We're going to start by talking about Rivera. He showed some real toughness in his last fight. How much better do you expect him to be at Bantamweight than he was at Featherweight? 
Oh, so much better because he's going to be at a weight class that he's comfortable in, I think. And I mean, if, if he's that durable in his last fight, imagine what he's going to be like in this one. I mean, he has incredible cardio and he's not going to be put away very easily. I, I've seen him on the Titan FC region. He, he's not the kind of guy that you want to take lightly. So I think he's going to fare very well in this weight class. And that's why I'm excited to see this matchup again uh, against Ali Al Casey. I, I think this is a fight that serves him absolutely well. I think he gets it done in this fight, honestly. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, what you said about him coming down a weight class and the toughness he showed, it wasn't just toughness he showed, but the willingness to get into Giga Chikadze's range, which, by the way, Giga Chikadze is a very long featherweight. You know, like, he's, mm -hmm. he's a very long fighter, and he uses all of that length because he's a former kickboxer. So the fact that Rivera was able to deal with all of that and get inside and, and land some pretty damn good shots himself, he was in on a heel hook attempt for a minute, which was also, you know, just bizarre to me. I think coming down to Bantamweight, he's really well served. And here fighting a guy who who grapples a little bit more than he strikes. And, and I don't love his takedowns. He's, he's a guy who I've seen hit a lot of guillotines, but most of them are like reactionary on getting taken down. Mm -hmm. Rivera's not going to take anybody down. The dude's going to swing for the fences. So, uh, yeah, I see this as a great fight for Rivera. Um, we're just about to the end of that time, though. How do you see him getting it done? I'm going to say Rivera by unanimous decision. I think he has the power to keep the fight standing and the power to knock out this guy. And like you said, the takedowns are not that impressive. And Rivera can get up time and time again. So it's going to be Rivera by unanimous decision for me. I'm going to go with Rivera. I think he can get the knockout here. I love the power in his hands. Like you said, we've seen it at Titan FC. So I'm going to go Rivera by knockout. And that's going to do it for all six of our prelim fights. You guys might also note while you're getting ready for these fights that Kevin Holland is fighting. I'm not sure if it's on the prelims. I'm not sure if it's on the main card, but it's worth noting he just got a fight against the newcomer whose name is eluding me right now. Jo Joaquin Buckley, I believe it is. So um, we're not going to get to talking about that fight. I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the main card, but just so you guys know, that one's also out there as well. I want to thank my co-host for today, Kristen King, for joining me. We hope these prelims don't change too much by the time this hits your Years, but of course this last couple weeks has been tough so Kristen thanks so much for joining me thank you so much for having me again I love doing these breakdowns